You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Allison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging, to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Welcome to So You Want to Be a Writer. This is episode 14, and my name is Valerie Koo. I'm here with the lovely Alison Tate. How are you today, Alison? Well, today I'm lovely. Last week I was fabulous, so <laughs> I'm not quite sure which is better or worse with that. But no, I'm extremely well. Thank you, Valerie. And you? Yep, good. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, do you know what I've been up to? Tell I've me. Been pinning. Pinning. I've been, I've been pinning, madly pinning. I've become obsessed again with pinning and I haven't been obsessed with pinning for quite some time. Wow. So I'm on Pinterest and as the social media chicky for the Australian Writers' Centre, I'm, I'm pinning and our boards are revamped and they're beautiful and they're useful and I think people should come over and join me. Come pin with me. Fabulous. What sorts of things are you pinning? Oh, well, I'm pinning right... Uh, on the Writer Centre page, I'm pinning writing advice and tips and quotes and all sorts of useful and fabulous things. On my own Pinterest boards, <laughs> I have boards called things that I love but will never do. So I'm pinning an ideal lifestyle that I will never lead. No and nice. I'm also pinning things that are not that pretty but might be useful. And I'm pinning maps because I'm obsessed with uh, maps. Ah, yes. And I'm pinning, oh, writing spaces. I'm pinning, you know, ideal. I'm pinning desks that overlook the ocean with billowing curtains to inspire me. When I should be writing, I'm pinning pictures of where other people write. So, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure about the procrastination aspect of that, but anyway. Do you ever pin uh, images to help you form the worlds or, or of your characters? Um, I do. I pin things that take I, – with regards to my series, which, um, you know, there's a fair bit of world going around the world involved in that, and I pin things that I think might be useful down the track. So if there's an image of a – I pinned one yesterday, the most beautiful image of a rope bridge crossing a chasm with green mountains around it, and I thought, I can see that somewhere. Mm. I don't know where, but somewhere – that will turn up. So maybe if you read my series, you can keep an eye out for the rope bridge with the green mm. mountains around it. But what about you? What have you been doing? Oh, well, before I move on to that, if anyone's interested, it's pinterest.com slash writerscentreau. So, or just search for Australian Writers Centre. But, so thank you very much for pinning, Alison. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. This week, geez. Okay, so we have had a couple of new team members start, so we've been really busy getting everyone underway, and it's awesome. Our new team members are fantastic, and I've been combining that with um, uh, some of you may remember that I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, so I've actually been writing a travel article yes. on called Weekend in Vegas and, um, you know, busy getting pictures and determining my angle and all that kind of stuff. So that's due in a couple of days. And I guess that's one of the great things about having such a portable profession is that you can not only write from anywhere, but you can ultimately, if you choose to, write about where you've been and get paid for it. So, you know, anyone interested in the um, art of travel writing, uh, you know, hit us up for our travel writing course. But do you do much travel writing these days, Al? Oh, look, you know, I'm fairly stuck in one place these days with my, <laughs> with my anchors, my two little anchors on either side of me. Um, no, I don't do a lot of travel writing at the moment. Um, I'm hoping to do some more in the future. I've got a few plans that um, hopefully um, I'll be filing some stories from exotic destinations at some point, probably not till for another five years, but you never know. Um, <laughs> so, no, I tend to write um, stuff that I can write from here. Sometimes, you know, I, I live in a very beautiful place. Mm. Um, I'm very lucky. I'm down on the south coast of New South Wales and there's a lot of fantastic stuff down here. So sometimes I do write stories for travel magazines about where I live mm. and that's another thing that you can do um, 
you know, like you don't necessarily have to visit somewhere to write about it. If you live there and it's amazing, mm. you can write about it. Give exactly. a local perspective. You yeah. don't have to be a backpacker to write travel articles. You can write travel articles about your own home. Absolutely. That's right. Um, but what's happening in the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week? Well, speaking about writing from home, <laughs> I um, I came across a story in The Guardian and it was quite an interesting one. It was titled, Is the Internet an Enemy of Writer's Creativity? And the basic premise was that George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. had gone on to Conan O'Brien's US talk show and he was talking about the fact that he keeps a secret, a secret, a separate computer without internet access mm. on which to write his novel. So he has one that's connected, like one that's modern and connected to the internet and does all those sorts of things. But he also has one. It's a DOS machine. Like I don't even know how old that would need to be, maybe 20 years old. Yeah. Um, it uses a program called WordStar 4, which Gosh. people who are somewhere near the age of about 40 might remember. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a archaic in computer terms. Yeah. And he writes his novels on that. And the reason he does it is because it's slow. It doesn't have spell check, which is a great thing for a man who has so many very complicated character names. Yeah. And it's not connect. You can't connect it to the internet. So. Gosh. But I'm also wondering if this is why he writes so slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Is this why we've been waiting for two years for another book? Is because he's writing on this, you know, ancient machine. And imagine if he needed to get tech support, like if the machine had something wrong with it. How (laughs) would you? I know. Imagine if it crashed. I mean, I don't even know if you can back those up. Like, He's probably on floppy disks. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So I, I, uh, I, using that article, I, I popped it up onto the Writer's Centre Facebook page and I asked our community, you know, is the, does the internet distract them too much from their creativity mm. and what do they do to avoid it? And there were quite a few interesting comments. Most people, however, just said that they embrace it. You know, yeah. how fantastic it is to be writing. And if you can't think of the name of a certain thing, well, you can just Google it straight away and it's mm. right there. Mm. You don't have to put XXX in and come back to it later. It's all there. Um, I don't know about the value of that. I mean, I, I write with the internet connected um, simply because it's just too hard to turn it off and do all that sort of stuff. But um, what about you? Do you find it distracting? Oh, look, the internet obviously is a rabbit hole that you can disappear down for hours and hours, sometimes even days, but uh, there's no way I'd be without it. I mean, actually, last night there was an outage, a Telstra outage at my place, and I thought the world had ended practically, you know. Fortunately, I happened to have an Optus device, a device connected via Optus, so I still was able to connect to the internet to find out there was an outage and, you know, so on. (laughs) That's the problem, isn't it? Half the time, if you can't connect to the internet, internet you can't connect to the internet to find out that you can't connect to the internet exactly difficult that used to be you know my case as well when I had fewer devices and I remember not having the internet for two or three days and I was like getting crankier and crankier and you know swearing at the router turning the router on and off and um my cat my second cat Rocky obviously knew mum is cranky at that (laughs) box and he promptly went over and pooed on it Which is probably, you know, the response that most of us should take and yet don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Anyway, very clever cat. So, but in other news... The Huffington Post and TechCrunch are establishing a sales presence in Australia uh, and obviously that means that they are about to launch here or they will launch here. And that's been no secret, but the fact that they're finally making inroads in getting a staff, and even if it's just a sales staff at the moment because they need to know that the revenue is there before they actually launch the product and hire a whole heap of editorial staff. But that's kind of good because even though there are certain jobs being lost in certain companies, there are obviously going to be jobs being created for writers in um, in new, did, more digital, focal, digitally focused platforms. So that's pretty good news. That's great news. And I guess it just goes to our conversations recently about the fact that you need to be nimble if you're going to be a writer. You yeah. have to basically stay across all the different things that are happening and you can't be... Um, you can't take the dinosaur. You can't take the George R. R. Martin approach <laughs> and be running DOS when everyone else is on the internet, can you? No. Right. And one of the other good things about being a writer is, um, you know, apart from being able to travel, as we've just discussed, you also get to interview and meet a whole heap of different people, you know, depending on who you interview. But 
But in particular, I, you know, it was brought to light to me this week because one of our graduates of the Australian Writers' Centre, Gabe McGrath, uh, wrote a story this week where he was able to interview Jane Kennedy. And many listeners will remember Jane Kennedy as part of the Degeneration and then Frontline. And, you know, she was on the breakfast show in Triple M, the late show. And he was saying that, um, you know, she's, she was a bit of a teenage heroine, especially when you know, she was on the D generation. So he finally got to interview her and we'll put the link in the show notes. But it made me think, you know, have you been able to interview like a childhood crush or or <laughs> anything like that, you know, after sort of idolising them for so, idolizing them for so long and then finally able to spend like an hour with them or even more or whatever? Well, yes. I had actually like one of the more embarrassing moments of my entire life. Do you tell? I could. And I'd forgotten all about it until I I sort of moved down here a few years ago and my dad presented me with this suitcase of stuff that he'd had stashed in the shed. And if you've seen my dad's shed, you would know that even finding the suitcase in there was quite a task. Mm -hmm. But he pulled it out and and it was this thing. It was a suitcase that I'd stashed there, I think, in about 1991 when I went overseas for a couple of years and I hadn't looked at any of it. Anyway, I opened it up and... One of the top things was this like pristine mint copy of the May 1991 edition of Countdown magazine. <laughs> Anybody might remember Countdown magazine. And um, at the time I was a cadet journalist for Federal Publishing, which was, um, which was publishing uh, Countdown at the time. And I'd been sent off to... Uh, interview James Rain from Australian Crawl. Mm. Now, the first gig that I, you know, if I was going to do the Rockwiz thing and they're going to say to me, what's the first gig you ever went to? Mm. Well, it was the um, the Aussie Crawl concert at my local drive-in <laughs> when I was about <laughs> I was about 15. That's the one I'd admit to. I think my first one was actually Young Talent Time, but I wouldn't talk about that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so I went off to this gig and it was the biggest thing of my life and it was very exciting. And this is about four years later, maybe three years later, and I'm, I'm heading off to interview James Rain, who was, you know, quite a spunk in those days. Mm. He remembers that. So I'm there and I'm and I remember as soon as I read the story, I remembered the day. I was wearing like a, because it was the 90s, I had on this like floral flo- frock, like a, you know, like a really girly frock, socks and <laughs> la- lace-ups. I had lace-up brogues on, like a guy with Doc Martens. And, of course, because it was Australian Crawl, I got to ask him such questions as, do pe- oh, sorry, Australian Crawl, because it was Countdown magazine, mm-hmm. I had to ask him stuff like, do people recognise you in the street? <laughs> yep. What would you do if be doing if you weren't making hit records? Answer, I don't know. Oh, my God. Do you live in a mansion and drive an expensive sports car? No, I don't own a car. And I had to ask him what colour underpants he was wearing. No. But I did. I did because that was a countdown thing at the time. They asked every single person that they interviewed because it was like a thing. It was a meme before memes were memes about what colour undies he had on. So there was me in all my fresh face glory talking to this, you know, rock idol about what colour undies he was wearing. So, yeah, that was that was me oh. doing my crush. What can I say? Wow. <laughs> and what colour undies does he wear? Oh, I, haven't got, I haven't got it with me. I can't tell you. I'm sorry. I could unearth it for you and put it up on the show notes if you want. Oh. But, um, I've put, I'll put a link in the show notes to the blog post I wrote about opening that suitcase because it was quite a moment in my life. But anyway, what about you? Did you Have you ever interviewed a crush? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, you did Bon Jovi, didn't yes. you? Well, everyone knows that I love John Bon Jovi. That's and right. yes, I did get to interview him and um, other members of Bon Jovi at different points. Um, and it was funny, the other day on LinkedIn, somebody sent me a LinkedIn connection saying, I love Bon Jovi too. I think we should connect. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, you know, that's probably not a bad foundation for yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll do business together. Um, but uh, I do remember that one of my very, very first ever celebrity interviews, like a million years ago, and I did have a bit of a crush on um, this guy, it was Christian Slater. So oh, I loved him. Yeah, I had never interviewed oh. 
any celebrity before and so I turned up at the Park Hyatt or whatever and I was so nervous and I was trying to be really cool and um, not nervous because I was like 20 nothing or something and um, you know there were other far more experienced journalists than me asking intelligent questions and I was just taking notes furiously and in the end I think one of the other more experienced journalists the journalist felt sort of sorry for me and kind of indicated maybe you should ask a question and Christian uh, had uh, one of those stress balls, and you know, and he was actually yeah. just you know squishing his um, stress ball for most of the interview. And all I could manage was, "Can I squish your ball?" <laughs> Val, oh, that's a classic. See, you know what? In this day and age, that would be on YouTube for us all to enjoy. <laughs> yes, but unfortunately, those were the days. Oh no! Thank God, YouTube wasn't around then. Did he laugh at you? Oh, yeah. He was absolutely lovely and charming and very accommodating and um, he made it very easy for me. So He had a great voice. I remember oh, that. Yeah. And a really good smile, like that really little lopsided smile. Yeah, gorgeous. Oh, I think I still have the photo somewhere. I was like, oh, you're taking me back. Yes. <laughs> anyway, another thing that's happened this week, I thought that was really interesting. Now, you may remember that a while ago we talked about the Amtrak Writers in Residence program where you could, you know, apply for a residency and get a long Hall train flight. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is very different, but sort of the same. <laughs> you, it, Write a House wants to give homes to writers in Detroit. Now, it says here, many organisations provide temporary homes for authors through writers' residency programs or other options. Like, you know, you can get a residency at the Melbourne Jail, you can get a residency at Verena, at a number of different places. But the program Write a House wants to give homes to writers permanently. Writer House is based in Detroit, where an infamously large number of houses are now vacant. The program has obtained three homes so far and has paired with the non-profit organisation Young Detroit Builders to make them livable. Applications to live in the first house are now open. So for any of our US listeners, um, we'll put a link to this in our show notes. If an author applies and is accepted to the program by the panel, they get the house. Now, the writers have to pay for taxes and insurance, but if they stay there two years, they receive the deed to the house. Wow. Can we please have one here in Sydney? <laughs> well, just, or what about in some of those regional areas that are starting, you know, where they're trying to, to revitalise the communities? What a great mm. idea. Like you, you, you're bringing sort of creative people into your community um, yep. The houses are lived in and, you know, they become valuable members of, of, of you know, w- what you're trying to do. I think it's an amazing, I think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I love fantastic. it. I wish I could put my hand up for one. <laughs> I know. Well, applications will be accepted until June 21 and then there'll be a short list of 10 finalists and they're hoping for a winner by September. So uh, particularly US listeners, um, have a look at the show notes and um, see if that's something that you want to do. But let's move on. All right. While we think a dream of houses. Yes, while we dream of houses. Now, a book came across my desk this week called Everyone Can Write by Howard Gelman. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an Australian book and it's uh, it's called Everyone Can Write a Guide to Get You Started. Now, it's, um, it's one of these books that's full of little snippets and tidbits uh, about writing, about, um, you know, grammar and punctuation and sentence flow and that sort of thing. It is a li- it's quite general and I think it, it, you know, I think that if you're going to write a book about writing or um, to help people how to write, you need to actually niche it down a little bit because, you know, the way you write a thriller or the way, well, in, even though there are definitely universal principles, the way you write fiction is very different to the way you write nonfiction, which is very different to the way you would write, say, a business letter. So this poses the question, do you think everyone can write? Yes, I do. I believe that everyone can write better. I yes. I'd like to say that. For sure. Um, I do think that um, it very much depends on what we're, to- what, as you say, the kind of writing we're talking about. Um, I think that, you know, that, there's, that everyone can definitely write um, a terrific essay, a feature article, uh, you know, those kinds of things. I think you can learn structure and you can learn how to, how to do it better. Um, whether or not everyone can write, I mean, I think everyone can write fiction. I, I don't, you know, it, you could, anyone can sit down and write a story. I don't, 
I, I don't doubt that at all. Um, I believe that the voice, that special thing that marks you out as as a, a, a true writer, mm. um, is possibly something that is very difficult to teach. I think you either have a voice um, or you don't. But I do believe that everyone can develop their voice. Mm. I think that you know your vo- your, you can develop the voice that you have to be the best that it can be. I do believe that. But I'll just give the example of I, I teach a writing group at my local school mm-hmm. and I've got 10 kids in that group and they've all been chosen because they, they're teachers or you know somebody thinks that they have potential um, and that they have a, a particular bent towards writing. Mm. And, and I agree with that. I think that they all do for different reasons. They all have different strengths and obviously different things. But I would say out of those 10 that there are two in that group that are um, surprising. And Mm. I think surprising is what marks out a writer because they choose, you know, if I give them an exercise, theirs will always be surprising. They Mm. will always take an angle that I don't expect. They will always produce something I don't expect. They use imagery that is very surprising. They're like nine, ten years old. Like this is a really young group. Um, But they will surprise me. And I Mm. think that if if you're surprising people or if people are kind of going, oh, wow, um, to me that is the mark of a voice of a true writer. I mean, they've got a long way to go. As Mm. I said, they're nine. (laughs) Um, But I can see in the two out of those ten that there's a definite uh, so much potential, like so much potential, and you mm. kind of think, "Wow, I hope they continue to develop it because where could it end up? Where will they go?" And that's the whole thing. Development, I think, is yeah. the key to writing. Practice, practice, practice. Definitely. Um, but what about you? I mean, you know, I, I, clearly, like we teach classes, mm-hmm. we we do believe everyone can write and write better than they than they do for sure. So I do think that um, you know everyone is born with different gifts and ability, natural gifts and abilities. In yeah. that you know some people are really good at sport, like I'm not, yeah, and yeah. some people are really good at you know maths versus something else. Um, so likewise, some people are born with a natural affinity towards writing. But I agree with you in that everyone can be taught it. However, on the um, issue of voice, and voice is very important, particularly when when it comes to fiction, I do think that everyone has a voice, but yeah. I don't think everyone accesses their, their voice or gives themselves the permission to access their voice. Writing, even though people think is quite a conservative profession, you've got to take risks as a writer, particularly mm. if you want to experiment and find your voice and, and go down and, and fail and, and, and go down certain roads and go, oh, my God, that didn't work. Mm. Um, but so I think that uh, not only can everyone access their voice, um, but not the, the thing is that not everyone is bothered to. Not, yeah. You either can't be bothered to or you just haven't learnt the tools to be able to do it. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know how. Yes. Um, I think if you ask people to sit down and write something, that this is the thing I find really interesting about it because I think that you, um, you know, just from doing adult workshops and things like that, you will say to someone, write me a description of something mm. and they will immediately go into sort of like what they think a writer would say mm. as opposed to what they would say. Mm. And, and I think that, that yep. you know, teaching them that they need to trust their own, it's, it's not about producing what they think writing looks like, yep. it's about producing what they would write. And that's, that's a really hard thing to teach. Like it's mm. a very difficult thing to, um, like it, it takes a lot of practice, you know, mm. and I, I think that's the thing that people maybe don't realise is that, yeah, we all did English at school, mm. but the, the, then to take that and turn it into writing mm. is, is a different thing. It's a different skill set and I yeah. think it's, a, and it's one that takes a lot of practice just like, you know, those people that are good at sport that go out and practice their tennis, yep. you know, over and over and over again. Same thing. Yeah, absolutely. So what's happening in the world of blogs this week? Well, I'm going to have a little talk about a blog that I came across. I've actually been following it now for um, probably 12 or 18 months. It's a blog called yourwriterplatform.com mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's you know, obviously there's, there's a very specific um, uh, title and that's what it's all about, your writer platform. But the reason I'm bringing it up at the moment is that they're currently doing a really, really good series for authors on creating newsletters. And newsletters are something that I know um, in the various writing circles that I inhabit um, have come up quite a lot lately about people saying, oh, should I have one? If I have one, what should I put in it? Why do I need one if I've got a blog? Do I need one if I've got a blog? You know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that um, it's really worth having a look at this series because she covers off a lot of those 
questions that people mm. will have um, because, you know, it's one thing to, to say, yes, I'm going to have a newsletter mm. and then you've got to think about, well, what am I going to put in a newsletter? <laughs> <laughs> You know, particularly if you're if you're not a published author, if you're someone who's a, you know trying to build a platform towards publication, yeah, um, it can often be difficult to know what to, to to write about. And should you write for writers? Should you write for readers? You know, how's it going to work? Um, so I would recommend that this particular um, series that she's doing on newsletters. Mm. Um, and I mean, you tell me, like, do authors need newsletters? I think that they need to. Um be building their their following. So they need to be able to have a way where they can communicate with their audience and not just through their blog but in a way that is more direct, i.e. through email. Um, however, it's easy just to jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, you just got to write a newsletter because then some authors are go, well, what would I write about? Mm. And I think many authors make the mistake of thinking that they have to write about their writing. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. If, if writing about their writing is something that is – they're really passionate about and that interests them, go for your life. I mean, that, but that's my point. They should write about something that they actually want to write about mm. and um, because that's going to sustain their interest and people can tell, readers can tell when you're writing about something you're just not that into. Yeah. Um, you know, they know when you're enthusiastic or not. So that might be about writing, but it might be about reading. It might be about their cat. It might be about <laughs> their knitting. I don't know, but it, there should be, it should be A, something that they're, into and therefore they actually think of writing this newsletter as a joy and not a chore but also it should um, have some kind of theme like one this month's newsletter shouldn't be about knitting and then next month's about car mechanics and next month's about you know Bougainvillea or anything so there should be some kind of theme but I do think that having some kind of regular communication with your readers is important if you do want to build an author platform. It is It is important and I also think like one of the points that you will often see made when it comes, you know, when people are advocating for the newsletter mm. and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of information out there about it, Google author newsletter, it will come up, mm. um, is that, you know, with Facebook, with, uh, with um, Twitter, with all those things where you're building your platforms and doing your things, you don't own the real estate there. Mm. And the important thing with, I think, the newsletter, what, what the suggestion is, is that these are people that like you enough mm. to invest in you enough to give you their email address, That's right. you know, and you need to treat that with respect because they, you know, they want to hear from you. They want to know whatever it is that you've got going on. They want to know about it. And and it is something that is specifically yours, yep. you know, um, and it gives you a direct uh, direct access to people who are willing to have you in their inbox, yep. which is, you know, it's a big thing these days because I don't know about your inbox, but my inbox looks like, I don't know, Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I've got about 3,000 emails in there at oh the moment. God, Let's not talk so about that. You'll be upset. <laughs> I know. But um, so just as a question then, do you uh, do you follow any – are there any newsletters that you particularly like to get, like to receive? Um, Apart from mine, of course. Of course. Of course. Yours you is love at the mine. top of my list. Absolutely. And everyone should sign up for my newsletter immediately. Definitely. And but do let's that get that, at, that aside. Do that at <laughs> alisontate.com. I'll just yes, throw course. that in for you. <laughs> but I do actually like to receive the copy blogger newsletter. Oh, yeah. um, there isn't something relevant every single time. But I think what it's useful for is just spotting trends in the writing industry, not necessarily in fiction, but trends in content marketing, trends in opportunities for writers as opposed to the craft of fiction. It does have um, a lot of digital kind of writing stuff in it. Um, so I do enjoy getting that. And um, and I dip in and out. I think newsletters um, often have their cycles as well. Sometimes they're just on fire and then they'll have a couple of months where they're, you know, okay, and then they come, and then they come back. So um, I do dip in and out of them as well. Okay. But let's move on to uh, who is our writer in residence this week? Well, I'm quite excited because our writer in residence this week is Mark Dappen, who is a personal favourite of mine. I love his columns. Love I love them. his fiction. I love his features. I think he writes amazing features. I yep. really, really enjoy them. Um, anyway, I spoke to Mark and unfortunately the sound on this is not terrific because Mark did not have a headset, but it is really, really worth persisting 
with um, having a listen to it because he has such a lot of great information and he's so straightforward and he tells it like it is. So it's really, really worth having a listen to to this persisting with the sound and I'm really sorry about the sound. Um, okay, so let's go and have a little listen to Mark. Today our guest is Mark Dappen, writer of features nonfiction and fiction and lover of roundabouts. Mark's the author of two published novels, the latest being Spirit House and is currently working on a new one. I would tell you more, but he's too busy writing to update his website, so we're stuck in a time warp, so I'm going to let him speak for himself. Hello, Mark. Hey, how are you? Actually, um, I don't know how to update the website. <laughs> I really don't. I've got no idea what you do. I suspected that may be at the root of the problem. Um, but if you're going to update the bio on your website right now, what would it say? What are you doing? Tell us all about it. Um, I'm sitting at my desk twiddling um, the attachment from my iPhone because I've just been trying to to download my updated iTunes account onto my iPhone 5. Prior to that, I was writing a revision of my third novel, provisionally entitled Van Town. Maybe you rang me up and there was all that confusion for about 40 minutes. I'm good like that. I do tend to bring confusion with me wherever I go. For at least 40 minutes, yeah. For at least 40 minutes. All right. So you're, you're working on fiction at the moment, but you do switch between fiction, uh, features, non-fiction books, a uh, whole range of things. When you say at the moment, I, I thought you meant literally at the moment. Um, this week, all I've, all I've got to do, the novel, um, I, I write the lunch with page for the Sydney Morning Hill. Obviously, I go out and have lunch with somebody, and I've been arranging my lunch for a week, which is going to be with um, a rural GP out in Port Macquarie, I think it is. Um, but I've also been arranging several other lunches far into the future. Like the, the lunch, although the eating and writing of the lunch probably only takes two days out of a week. The arrangement, the arranging of the lunch just goes on forever. Did you ever imagine that lunch could be so complicated? Well, I mean, I've always overcomplicated lunch, as you know, by <laughs> refusing to eat certain foods and also dripping food down myself and dropping cutlery um, and performing the various other table manners folk bars. Um, but no, I, I didn't realise the administrative side of it could take so long. That's about my... I don't mind doing it because most of the stuff I do involves no contact with other people. I'm just sitting there writing. So I actually don't mind the reasonable level of administrative work in a day. Um, other things I've been doing this week, yesterday I spent part of the afternoon um, doing the proofs of a Good Weekend feature, um, which took quite a long while because when I get proofs back from any magazine, I usually don't read them uh, oh. because I know that if I had wanted to write what the subs wanted me to write, I would have written that in the first place. I see. And, you know, so I wasn't a very good writer. I might have written that way. Do, they, do they take the funny bits out? No, they just put cliches in. Oh. Um, and it annoys me so much that, I have stopped subject some time ago. I stopped subjecting myself to that. However, this was a sort of important feature for me. It was important that the historical details were correct. Right. So I went back essentially over my own work. I tried not to put and change um, things that I'd written in the first place to, to call them too much on their own changes. But I don't, I don't like doing that at all. Um, it's probably the only part of my week I do not enjoy. And normally I do anything to avoid it. So is it just the editing that you just, like from that perspective, because you did edit magazines for quite some time. I like editing. I like editing my own stuff. I don't mind editing other people's. Um, You just don't like, you don't really like being edited very much. I don't see the point in being subbed and then unsubbing, which is what happens every time I read my own copy. If I'm going to agree to the sub-editing process, then I might as well just let it, let it go by. You know? I agree. All right. So you have a fairly varied week and you're switching, you know, between different things a lot. Do you like the variety of that or do you find 
that it kind of interferes with your, you know, creative flow and you're writing fiction and that sort of thing? No, it doesn't interfere at all. If anything, um, they feed off each other. If I get stuck with um, a paragraph in a novel, I can just start to transcribe a piece of journalism. If I get bored with transcription, which you know, I tend to do after a couple of hours, I can start a different piece of journalism. I can start a column. I also have a column once every three weeks in the Murdoch place, which is just you know, my experiences and my thoughts about something. And okay. if, the journal, if the journalism and the fiction are stuck, I'll do the column. And as you know, I'm also doing a um, postgraduate degree. So if I can do one of those things, I'll, I'll do the degree. I mean, I try and, and I'm writing another book. So See, see and, how much your bio needs updating? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't care whether people notice or not. Fair enough. I, so I try and decide at the beginning of every day, certainly the beginning of every week, what is more important. And generally I'm ruled, I allow myself to be ruled entirely by proximity of deadline. Yes. But at the moment um, I'm concentrating on the novel just to indulge myself. I, I feel like doing a novel this week. And I had a heavy week, I had a very heavy fortnight of deadlines just gone on the journalism. So I'm doing, it's not actually wholly essential that I should do an novel this week, but I'm doing as much of it as I can around myself. Okay, so do you have a writing routine at all? Like, do you, are you like at your desk at 9am and leaving at 5pm every day beyond the organising and going to the lunches, obviously? This is my writing routine, right? I, I get up, I put on some clothes. It's, Good start. It's probably ideal. Yeah, sometimes I don't. I'm some, just where I'm wearing bed, which is often, as you can imagine, a, an animal outfit. <laughs> <laughs> or to tie rubber wear. Um, and now I'm left with a visual image that I really don't want to have. But anyway, continue. You're dressed. What happens next? Oh, flashy. Um, I, and I start work. I come upstairs. I have breakfast. I come upstairs and I start writing and then I write until I can't write anymore and I go to the gym and I get a punching bag or do some weights Then I come back and write till dinner time and then after dinner I come back upstairs and I write till I can't write anymore. So most, probably seven days a week, 50 weeks a year, I write every day long. My God, you must be so much fun to live with. Oh, it's fascinating. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I I shout downstairs and then I ask for an adjective and stuff like that. Or lunch? You know, it's, no, I always make my own lunch. Oh, well done. Right. Well done. So when you're not writing, you basically go to the gym? When I'm not writing, I go to the gym or I play with the kids. Oh, you play with it. That's of course because you, you have two. I do. That's, that's excellent. They're not obviously reading your work yet? No, I've not really shown any interest in reading. Ben, ben my son, who's nine on Sunday, Saturday, in fact, um, he reads a real lot, but luckily he's shown no interest in my stuff. All right, so why did you start writing fiction? Because you had a very, at the time, established, um, and I know that you have, you, you, you've, I've, I've read before and heard before that you've written fiction your whole life, whatever, but why did you start writing fiction for publication? You know, you were very well established as a writer of non-fiction memoir features. W- what made you branch out into writing fiction for publication? Um. Somebody told me I ought to. Excellent. Um, and I always, whenever people suggest stuff, I think, oh, yes, good idea. And pretty much no matter what it is. Um, and I'll try it for a brief period. Um, it didn't really extend any deeper than that. Um, and I, I think at the time, it's hard to recall, I'd got a bit sick of, a lot of my journalism is dealing with eccentric people and yes. they're often not entirely coherent stories. And sometimes that, sometimes that grinds you down rather than thinking, oh, this is so powerful, you know, you think, wow, why do these people believe this rubbish? <laughs> I think I was going through one of those periods of just despair at the eccentricities of others and I thought oh, I'll just write something where I don't have to talk to people for a while. Fair enough. 
So do you plot a book out before you begin writing or do you just sort of make it up as you go along? Now, I've got a beginning and the end, um, much like the feature. When I, for me, the most important part of the feature is the intro, but um, I must, the intro must lead inevitably to the conclusion. So I'm the same with a short story, a column, a feature, or indeed a novel. So I know how it begins, I know how it ends. It's just the getting there that I don't map out. So how do you find them? Because I, I, I work much the same way, but how do you find the middle of a novel? Because, you know, when you're dealing with a feature or you're dealing with a column, you're, you're looking at a much shorter trajectory, so to speak, when you've got 100,000 words to deal with to get where you need to go to the end. How, how do you go with that slog through the middle? Through constant revision, really. Um, although, as I say, there's an inevitable propulsion from one point to the next because that's the purpose of the narrative, it, it does have to take various byroads, whatever. Um, and it's difficult. I find it difficult to know how to maintain the suspense because the books that I write, I guess, often have a kind of suspense at their heart. But that's not what interests me about other people's writing. I don't, I don't care when I'm reading a book what's happening in the plot at all. I'm interested in sentences. I, I enjoy reading beautiful sentences, not following an exciting story. So I'm not, I'm never quite sure how to do that for people. And that's where rewriting comes in. So you rewrite as you go, like you edit and rewrite as you work, or do you get the whole first draft down and then go back and rework it? I know every day I write page and I think, that's perfect, great ones. And next day I look at them and think, what a crock of shit. <laughs> so I revise it. I revise on that level daily. Um, but I guess the redrafting comes in when I send it to my agent or my publisher. Or in the case of this novel, at both stages. Oh, right. Okay. So do you think your features and editing background has helped or hindered with your fiction writing? Oh, helped, definitely. In, in what way? If you write features to deadlines, you realise what's possible. If you write um, 53,000 word features in a year, say, and not nobody ever have. <laughs> but you could. <laughs> I probably in a year have written maybe 120,000 words of journalism. Right. If you do that, then you know it's possible to write 120,000 words in a year. I think when people begin a novel, they're not at all, they're not at all convinced that there's enough time and space in their lives to ever complete it. Um, but I know, I know exactly what you or I can do in, in any given time period. You know. Okay, so you're editing a novel at the moment. How do you go about that? It's a heavy rewrite. It's editing makes it sound like it's perfect. And what I'm yeah, yeah. doing is I've pulled out three characters and perhaps twelve thousand words, and I'm adding unintentionally. I didn't mean to add characters, but I'm probably adding three characters and 22,000 words. So a third of the book changes. Wow. Uh, and how I'm going about it, um, it's a constant process of puzzling through. And that's another way for me that the journalism helps. Right. Um, because you can't just sit and think and think. It doesn't, it doesn't yield results. What yields results I find is letting the subconscious play while you're doing something else. And my something else, luckily for me, it, it tends to be writing. Well, right. at the time it works. Um, it's swimming. Swimming, I find, helps with fiction. Swimming? Just following the black line up and down the pool? Um, I, I don't know what it is, but, and it doesn't, I mean, not like I ever get stuck with journalism anyway, but it, it seems that. It seems it's the only thing that works. That's and interesting. It works. Yeah. I didn't even know you were a swimmer. I'm not. I'm a shit swimmer. <laughs> but, you know, I can do Tommy breaststroke for half an hour slowly 
in an empty pool, uh, luckily I have access to such a place. And uh, it does, it always clears my mind and often uh, reveals to me where the story might go, as if there were a god in the water or in the chlorine. God in the chlorine. I like that. That's. I think we can work with that. All right. So last question then. Um, I need some tips for writers. Give me your three top tips. And I'm sure that you are asked this kind of stuff all the time. So I'm, I'm pretty sure you've got an amazing list there for me, right? Uh, I do get asked all the time, but mainly I just kind of look at people. I'm only listening to what I do. I don't Okay. So can you make something up for me then? seems to me that the obvious thing, People spend an awful lot of time talking about writing and agonising about writing and trying to think of ways to make themselves write um, rather than actually writing. Yes. It seems to me that probably the best way to begin writing would be to sit down in front of a computer these days with a blank file and then sort of do the best to do it. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's just a mistake. That's a good start, yeah. Um, I think... All excuses about writing, about not writing, you know, I'm too tired, I've got to do this other thing, it's not working, I've got rose blocked. It's all bullshit. All it means is you don't want to do it. And if, if you in fact do not want to do it, you might as well admit it to yourself and come up with some other you know, way, to, <laughs> way to spend your day. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, no matter what, why I might say I write in response to Question, yeah, I'm, I, I don't think so. I need to express myself. I do not feel the need to express myself. But um, it all boils down to I just like doing it. I, mean, I do it because I enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you probably shouldn't do it. And if you want to know whether you enjoy it or not, check to see whether you're doing it or not. <laughs> um, beyond that, I think, um, as I've said before, the most the three the key, rather, to good writing is um, originality of metaphor and similar. It's avoiding cliches. It's thinking of new ways to describe things. Yep. Um, and you have to, you can't just, when you look at a sentence, you have to think to yourself, have I read this sentence before? Have I read this sentence a thousand times before? Am I writing mechanically? You have to look at your dialogue and think, is this really the way people talk, or at least a credible approximation of the way people might do, or is this the way I've seen people talk on television? These are the two things I ask myself most often when writing fiction. Um, fiction and journalism, because even transcription of dialogue, uh, transcription of interviews, involves a certain amount of editing. If you actually write down what people said, they, they say something like, they answer every question with yes, no. Um, they yep. end like I did. They say, they say something right and then start in the sentence again. And they say a lot of, oh, I'm going to seem to get words mixed up, etc. Um, obviously, you have to bring that to turn it into the kind of dialogue that people can read in the newspaper feature. So I'm constantly thinking while I'm writing that, is this what people say? Is this, is this the way it really sounds? And I have a sentence around it, which I have added, I don't original, I don't need, I don't add something, I don't funny, I don't excite, I don't poetic. Um, so it's, for me, it's a process of, I guess, of absolutely constant self-criticism. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that until now. There you go. I'm glad I've been useful. No, really, it's no use for me at all to know that. Well, you know, maybe you can think about that later. <laughs> right. So I don't know why you bother, really. <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I'll let you get back to planning your next lunch, which I'm sure will be very exciting. And um, we will look forward to your next novel. Thanks very much. That was awesome. Even with the sound, it was great. Mark has so much to say. He does have a lot to say, and I should also mention that his book Spirit House was recently shortlisted for the Ondachi Prize in um, in the UK, and I will admit that I had to Google how to actually say that. So um, if you would also like to Google how to say it, then you should follow the link that we'll put in the show notes. <laughs> 
Okay, so we had a question from Ruth Clare in Melbourne this week and anyone who wants to ask us a question that you'd like, you know, addressed in the podcast, we'll try to get to as many as we can. Ruth has said, I'm in the process of writing my first book and am struggling with the best way of managing such a large document. The way I'm currently working is in separate chapters saved as individual documents in Microsoft Word and then adding joining paragraphs to the top and tail of the chapters. I then print out copies of each chapter and put them in a ring binder to give me a better sense of the big picture, where I'm at, how much I have to go. I find the printed document also gives me the satisfaction of being able to see page after page of printed words so that I feel I'm accomplishing something that might one day turn into a book. Related to this query is also my struggle with how to keep a story of this scale in my head. I'm writing a memoir so my process may be different to the one required for fiction as I've defined events that I know I'm going to write. I am, however, attempting to use a lot of the same storytelling conventions as a novel, so it's possible there's a bit of overlap. And um, basically, she's asking um, whether, you know, what kind of thing can be used to harness all of these bits and pieces and arrange them and and organize them and, you know, that's beyond just Microsoft Word. So, gosh, do you have any thoughts on this particular one, Al? I take a deep breath there. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, well, okay, let's let's have a look at that. So, let's um, first of all, I will say that the tool that most authors I know will rave about when it comes to this kind of activity is Scrivener, which is an app that yep. you can get. You can download the program on your computer, and people who use it absolutely rave about it they love it it allows you to show different points of view as you go through it allows you to organize everything into a um almost like a a virtual cork board yeah um you can keep all your chapters you know neatly outlined um like sets of index cards um it it is very much a a, a, it's specifically designed for this kind of activity for writing large documents books novels memoirs non-fiction etc and um as i said people who use it are zealous about it they love it um i don't use it mainly because i've i've had a look at it i've i've done the trial um i've decided that it would take me longer to actually get myself organized on it than it would take me to write a book <laughs> because that's what i'm like um so i generally i i'll explain how i organize my books um when it comes to non-fiction i follow the approach that it's ruth isn't it that we're yes talking? yeah i follow the approach that ruth takes where i use a different uh word a Microsoft Word document for each chapter. Um, but when I write nonfiction, um, I tend to be approaching each chapter almost in my head like its own separate little feature article. Yeah. It's very much a one chapter, one idea, one chapter, one idea kind of um, of, set, of, of approach. Um, and that works best for me. That's how I, you know, I outline the entire book. I know exactly where I'm going and, and off we go. Um, when I write fiction, I don't write like that at all. I start at the top of my Microsoft Word document and off I go. Um, and I do a lot of the – how do I keep it in my head? I don't know. <laughs> That's the funny thing about writing. It's so different for everyone. Yeah. I, I just start writing and um, I do a lot more outlining now than I ever used to do. I used to be very much a just <laughs> – let's just choose a character and off we go sort of thing. I do more outlining now, but I don't do it within the actual document. I have a separate outlining document mm. and, um, and I use that. And I think it's a matter of I just know the story so well and the character so well that I keep track of what's going on that way and, and then I edit and that's, mm. that's where I do a lot of the, the rewriting is, is quite important to me. Um, so I don't know how helpful any of that was, but I, I would suggest that that she definitely take a look at Scrivener because it may have the key to what she's what she's wanting to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm one of those authors that is zealous about Scrivener, so I think I need to sit hey, down with you, you Alison, oh. and have a little lesson. Let me just explain. There's not that much to learn because I will admit I probably only use about thirty percent of Scrivener's functionality, but right. I only need the thirty percent. I don't want to learn the other seventy. I'm very happy have just 
just knowing the basic things to get me where I want to go. And one of the things I love about Scrivener, and I think would certainly be useful for somebody writing a memoir, is that you can um, kind of like section things off. Like you said, they're, they're, they're like a little um, index cards. You can mm. write um, perhaps you, a memoir is going to consist of a lot of life events, little incidences throughout your life that you're going to have a little story surrounding. And so you might be able to write that on an index card, um, which is your summary, but then you can go into more detail, um, you know, on, on the next page, so to speak, about the life event. Now, the beautiful thing about that is that you can just rearrange them, you know, like a Pinterest board almost. You can just move this life event here, move it there. But then I, I know that some people might be saying, but your life events only occur in a certain order. And that's true, but you don't necessarily end up writing them in that order. You know, mm. most memoirs are not necessarily written chronologically. Sometimes mm. there's flashbacks. Sometimes you move forward. Sometimes you, you know, move to different sections. So it's really useful, particularly from nonfiction, if you're writing, you know, whether you're writing a book about web marketing or, you know, credit cards or or health food, um, to also arrange things in that order. And one of the best things about Scrivener that I love. You are zealous. Listen to this. <laughs> All right. Keep going. Is that, is that sometimes you're in a very long chapter and you're thinking, oh, I need to move that from the bottom to the top but where at the top do I move it you know because you don't want to cut and then you know before paste it (laughs) before pasting it lose it or something like that the beauty about Scrivener is you can have two screens open one at the top of the document or wherever and one at the other section of the document that you may want to browse so that you can actually have them side by side it's like having two word documents open except they're actually the same document you can't do that in word and so you can actually take it from that from one screen and move it to the other screen but it it the the effect is on both documents if you know what I mean right see I'm confused already I'd end up with, well, I think I'd end up in a mess. Anyway, I love you can show me. You can talk me through you. it. It's and, awesome. And I will report back at some point in the future as to whether I have become a Scrivener zealot or not. Yes, and I think the important thing, if you do download the free trial, and even the paid version is like ridiculously cheap, it's like $45 or something. Mm. Um, if you do download the free trial, don't think that you need to learn the whole functionality and don't think you need to write your novel in the way Scrivener has set it up. Only use it in the way that you would naturally, which may mean you only end up using 30% of it or Mm. or whatever. But that's okay sort of thing. And there are some terrific workshops that you can do. Like there's there's people out there that are actually, you know, you can go and do a workshop and they will talk you through how to use it and what to do, et cetera, which, you know, maybe somebody like me needs to do. (laughs) Okay, what's our working writer's tip? Well, this week um, I decided that we would feature a working writer's tip from my ebook, um, which is called Get Paid to Write, The Secrets of Freelance Writing Success. Mm-hmm. And we, um, the, the one I've chosen is from David Schmidt, who is one of um, Australia's you know, leading freelance writers. You'll see his name in a lot of different places. And, yep. of course, we both had the pleasure of working with David yep. at Clio, yep. where he kept us all in stitches, and it's, which is not surprising that he's now a stand-up comedian as well. Yep. Um, but anyway, David, David's tip is to treat your freelance writing as a business. Um, he says, I always liken it to being a tradie, like a plumber or carpenter. Deliver what you say you're going to deliver when you say you're going to do it. Yeah. Use the best materials you can afford and always do one interview too many. Remember, you are an artisan, not an artist. And I think that that is a very, very important tip because I think a lot of people get so carried away with the, you know, creativity and joy of being a writer that they forget that you've got to make a living yeah. at this. If you're going to go hard at making a living at freelance writing, then you have to look at it as a business. You have to think about what you're in your head, what you're worth on an hourly rate, and you need to decide how much you need to make each week or yeah. each month or whatever, and you need to work out how you're going to do that. And it may be that you need to do a range of different styles of projects to make that work. Absolutely. Um, and that is something that you need to think about. And you also need to think about your reputation. You need to think about the fact that, you have to deliver. Like don't overcommit yourself to such a point that you end up doing a, a half, you know, yeah. job on a whole lot of different things. Um, so I think that's a really important tip and I know that you would agree with me on that because you're very, very much about the business of writing as well. Yeah, very much so. I think it's very important to treat it as a business if you want to succeed at it. If yes. you're just pottering around and you're doing it as a hobby, that's totally fine in just doing it for fun, you know, with a, some pocket money on the side, then 
then only expect to receive pocket money on the side. But that's okay. But if you do want to make money from it and make decent money, you definitely have to um, treat it as a business. Um, but anyway, that brings us to the end of our podcast for this week. What do you want to do this week? Um, I am redrafting an adult novel this week. I, I've decided to pull out a manuscript that I've been working on for a while and I am working on the hopefully final draft of that before my agent sends it out. So um, it's taking me a little bit longer than I'd hoped, uh, but, you know, sometimes these things do. <laughs> you sort of you start reading it. And I hadn't looked at it for quite a long time, which is a really helpful thing when you're editing work um, because you're not so close to it anymore. Yeah. So I'm reading it and I'm going, oh, I could have done that better and, oh, I should have done that better. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm doing Fantastic. it all better. Yeah. And what about you? Well, um, I've been... I feel like I've been running on all cylinders for about four weeks straight and not Mm -hmm. really having a break except sort of when the internet was out last night. Mm -hmm. But even then it was stressful that the internet was out. But um, I think because I've been so flat out, I'm just looking forward to watching some crap TV for a little while. (laughs) So what's on your – what is on your hit list? (laughs) Just sort of, you know, lie in bed with my cat and, and, and flick around Foxtel. Oh and see what's there. there <laughs> I know that I should be saying something like I'm I'm going to be, you know, busy penning the next Booker Prize winning novel or something. Oh, please. But, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'll be watching crap TV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes you need that, you know. No, you do. You have to you have to refuel. And so if anyone would like to ask us a question that you'd like addressed, it's podcast at writerscentre.com.au. But you can also find Alison at? Oh, alisontate.com. <laughs> you can find me at valeriecoo.com and you can find show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. So until next time, have a great week. Bye. 